the United States of America is called a Christian nation. Christian nation. Christian nation. It's time for a moment of clarity with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering. Let us pray that this nation does come to a moment of clarity. Faith, faith, faith. politics, politics, history, history, and current events. Current events. And now, your host, Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick will be joining you momentarily, but in the meantime, I am Derek Stone with a moment on sports, part one. The 15-seed Oral Roberts Golden Eagles men's basketball team defeated the two-seed Ohio State Buckeyes 75-72 in overtime in the first round of the NCAA tournament yesterday. Golden Eagles forward Kevin Obenor scored 30 points, 15 of which came beyond the arc and grabbed 11 rebounds. Obenor's teammate Max Abmus also tallied 15 points behind the three-point line and recorded 29 points overall. Oral Roberts was able to pull off the huge upset thanks to their 18-point advantage beyond the arc and five-point edge at the charity stripe. The Golden Eagles will battle the Florida Gators in the second round tomorrow night at 7.45. Now here's your Moment of Clarity host, Pastor Rick Dietering. And good afternoon. We have a lot to cover. We have some fantastic guests. And we have Ed joining us today. He goes somewhere in the list of something. But <laughs> I, I, a few things I want to talk about. And before I get onto my narrative... Anyone who goes against the main narrative of the shootings last week are labeled racist, haters, anything else. And so I want you to know, um, I appreciate I appreciate South Korea. They send more, more missionaries to the United States than the United States sends out to the whole world. They're great at spreading the gospel. Uh, I mean, the, the Christianity of our brothers and sisters in, in Korea is awesome. So I want you to know right off the bat, I don't hate people from Korea. I absolutely love them. And the work they do for our Lord is astounding. We had a horrific shooting in Atlanta this past week. And as soon as it happened, the narrative came out immediately, starting up in Seattle, starting up in Washington, and going across the nation, that this was a hate crime, and it was due to the hate of Asian Americans. And one of the... One of the uh, sheriffs involved with that investigation had the audacity to come on the air and explain uh, and give the reason that the shooter gave for his shooting that went against the narrative. And uh, then they started digging up dirt on this. And the worst thing, thing that they could find on the sheriff after that was the fact that he had liked on Facebook a shot of a T-shirt that said coronavirus imported from China. And folks, I hate to tell you this, coronavirus that we're facing came from China. Uh, it was That T-shirt's not inaccurate, and he wasn't wrong for liking it. That was his right to like it. But that came out that came out as, as look, he's racist because he put this up and he hates Asian Americans. And now Captain Baker's been taken off the case because of the outrage that he would go against the narrative. I want to read uh, something from the New York Post. It's in regards to an article that was written... Uh, on a blog called The Root. Now, the writer of this 
article in, uh, in The Root was written by a, a gentleman who was also a contributor to the New York Times by the name of Damon Young. I want you to hear this. The digital magazine The Root was accused of racism Wednesday after publishing an article declaring whiteness is a pandemic in response to Tuesday's deadly shootings in Georgia. There was a rush to conclude that the shootings that were excuse me, there was a rush to conclude that the shootings that killed eight people at three Atlanta area massage parlors were hate crimes. And after officials confirmed, wait, you get this. And after officials confirmed the six of the eight victims were Asian Americans, investigators said Wednesday that the suspect, the suspected gunman, 21-year-old, I'm not even going to say the guy's name. I'm not going to give him that credit. This 21-year-old man told them he was motivated by a sexual addiction. They added that racism, racism did not appear to be the motive. Long has since been charged with multiple counts of murder and assault. And then it goes on, it goes on talking about the, this writing uh, by Damon Young. Uh, and he concludes in Damon Young's writing, he's, he, he writes this. Damon Young, he continued, white supremacy is a virus that, like other viruses, will not die until there are no bodies left for it to infect which means the only way to stop it is to locate it, isolate it, extract it, and kill it. I guess a vaccine could work, too, but we've had over 400 years to develop one, so I don't hold my breath. So Damon Young's idea here is uh, that whiteness is a pandemic. We are an epidemic that must be eliminated. Where's the cry out on this? We've been talking about uh, critical race theory on our show time and time and time again. Folks, uh, well, I've got an expert and we'll let him speak up. But let me, first of all, introduce my co-host, Ed. How you doing, Ed? Oh, you can't pronounce my last name, right? Yeah, there we go. I Hi. don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to give credit. I don't want to give credit to the gunman. And I don't want to give credit to you. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I'm wondering where Ed I get Bondarenka, Ypsilanti. <laughs> I'm wondering where I get my inoculation of melanin, you know, to uh, vaccinate myself against my pandemic of whiteness. Because, you know, actually, I'm on day 32 of not getting the shot for the pandemic, and there so far no side effects. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually what I'm seeing in all this, Ed, is that we have the extreme left that is playing this this critical race theory to the T, trying to divide this nation more and more and more. Um, I don't know. I, that's my opinion. Why don't you introduce uh, our guest, but since you're the one who was great enough to get him, and I'm excited about our guest. And so I'll let you introduce him, Ed, and then um, we'll jump into our conversation. Oh, well, that's nice of you. I'd, I'd like to introduce you folks once again on this show to Kevin McGarry. He is the president of Every Black Life Matters. He is one of the co-founders of that group. He's an expert on critical race theory, and he's a wonderful guy. And uh, I trust I can call you my friend because we've had drinks together. And I, by that, I mean not, I had a non-alcoholic beverage. But <laughs> <laughs> we met we met after your show last uh, last Saturday in Toledo, and uh, I had a wonderful time with him and, and Neil. So welcome to the show. Um, Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Pastor. It's a pleasure to be here. Appreciate it. 
I've got a question for you. And now you and I have not had a chance to discuss this or even that article I was going to read from. Um, I, I see, because I, we are on Skype, I was seeing some of your reactions, uh, facial reactions you had as I read that. Would you like to make any comment on what I just read from the New York, the New York Post? Yeah, I mean, essentially what we're seeing is the uh, racification of everything. I mean, essentially what, uh, what we're seeing is the rollout of an extreme new religion, an extreme new theology. And it's uh, the theology of it's the religion of race. That is the sort of Trojan horse that's wheeled into the room and out pops CRT, liberation theology, black liberation theology, social justice. These are all gospels that are subsets of this horrible demonic evil that we focus on called the religion of race. And it's uh, completely antithetical to the gospel. It's completely antithetical to the supremacy of the cross and the works of Jesus. And uh, we as, a, as people of faith, we better wake up. Uh, this is a religion. People that are, um, that are really worshiping it are fervently trying to make sure that every inch of every deed is infused with this, you know, or, or looked at through the lens of race. This uh, shooting, as tragic as it was, as evil as it was, um, you know, and, and the FBI being a woke institution came back and said, look, it had nothing to do with race. Uh, this this the shooting, as evil as it was, you had a nut job. We, we you know, we have a, a country of 330 some odd million people. And guess what, folks? We have some nut jobs in this country. I mean, you know. Fundamentally, though, we could we could celebrate that by and large, most of us are not. So, you, you know, but you do have your instances where you have some nut jobs and some evil people and some demonically inspired people that do things that are horrible. And that's what we should be looking at. How do we really, you know, deal with these issues as they come up? How do we pray for the families? How do we put together the communities, not further divide them based on this sort of non sequitur crazy narrative about race and Asians and and uh, whites not liking it. It's just, it's just so absurdly ridiculous. At some points, when are we as Americans and we as when are we as people of faith gonna put up our hands and say, look, enough, stop it, you know? So. Yep, well, I've been making this statement for quite a while on, on my show is that critical race theory, critical gender theory, critical theory, that it all comes from critical theory, yeah. uh, which is a Marxist teaching, um, that all of this is part of the new social justice warrior attitude. And I'm very dear friends with a woman out in Texas who's a ex-social justice warrior, and we've had conversations on my show a few times, and we've come to the conclusion that social justice is the new religion that offers no redemption. Correct. Absolutely. And people are looking to fix all the problems in the world through social justice, knowing that it, it, it will never happen. I mean, as a social justice warrior, you have this mindset that men are men and women are basically good and uh, 
And because they're basically good, they're only a product of their environment and we can fix it, but they know they can never fix it. And that's the lie that they're feeding themselves is they have to convince themselves that they can make a difference knowing they never can and therefore never find redemption. Yeah. And it's an empty religion. Absolutely. No doubt about it. Critical race theory is the exact same thing. I mean, essentially what it says is based on your melanin count or lack thereof, you have you're either redeemable or completely irredeemable. In other words, if you lack melanin, you're 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 done. I mean, you're a curse. You're a cursed people, a cursed generation, and it's you're irredeemable. So their faith believes in predestination. <laughs> Good way to look at it, yes. All right. All right. I, I kind of get your point there. <laughs> And we have joining us now uh, my other co-host, the one I like, Phil. How you doing, Phil? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I got a little false alarm on a on a virus on my, so I couldn't join you right away because I was locked up, couldn't couldn't uh, get my computer working. But I'm not going to get coronavirus. Yeah, I'm not going to get coronavirus from your computer now, am I? It it's no telling. I'll tell you, they uh, they're everywhere. The viruses are everywhere. I'm getting ready to put a mask on my computers just to save it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good, that's a great idea. <laughs> and you wearing a mask is not going to save, is not going to save your computer. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, a little bit about myself. Okay, I was born and yes. raised in, uh, I was born in project housing in San Francisco, Hunters Point, and uh, in the 60s. I uh, was raised in lower middle class neighborhood in San Francisco, um, was steeped in liberalism and, uh, you know, Democrat ideology, um, went to San Jose State, got a sociology degree. Um, and, you know, I was strictly a brother from the hood, did all the hood rat stuff. And uh, by God's redemptive power, um, you know, we I got married and. In 1987, been now married for 30, going on 34 years, and and uh, by God's redemptive power, it turned around my life, and He lifted the veil and allowed me to see the types of policies that were really hurting blacks and hurting our faith, and and um, and I started to get civically involved and uh, started to write a number of books. I've written my fourth book, uh, just was released last year, and. Um, and so I see things now through the lens of the gospel, simply, totally, purely the gospel. It's not about race. It's not about any of these other things that these uh, sort of progressives want us to look at uh, life through the lens of. I look at life through the lens of the gospel and through uh, the cross. And uh, this is what's missing today is. We in the body of Christ, by and large, and I'm generalizing here, I know that, but by and large, a lot of us have are not really that critical when it comes to thinking. We've lost our capacity to be, you know, have the sort of foresight and insight like the sons of Ishakar that would look at things and have some anticipation of where things were going. We've become uncritical um, and we are sort of going in with the flow. We're gripped and swept by culture and society. And uh, all the things that were gripped and swept into completely undermine our faith, or most of the things that were gripped and swept into. So um, we're standing in the gap, man. We're fighting the CRT fight. We're fighting the 
liberation theology and the black liberation theology fight against those diabolical uh, theories, of course. And then we're fighting the fight against uh, social justice because these things completely subvert the gospel and undermine the cross, the works of the finished works of the cross. So, Amen. yeah, so we're we're fighting the fight. So I want to go back. You, you, you said so much there and we could spend days talking about different points of everything you just made. You talked about at the beginning policies that were affecting your race at the beginning. Yep. What do you find as the, the, the most dangerous policy harming the, the black race today in this country? In this country, the most dangerous policy that is fully supported by leftist progressives uh, that is harming blacks at grossly disproportional rates that actually is, the, is tantamount to black genocide is uh, Margaret Sanger's uh, Planned Parenthood and their uh, desire to fully exterminate the Negro population, Margaret Sanger's word. So it's the abortion industry and Planned Parenthood. Go ahead, uh, Phil. Phil, I know Phil wanted to say something, but I wanted to point out uh, Phil's co-host, Abolitionist Roundtable, Bruce Fleury, wrote the book on the Negro Project. Yeah. And uh, yes, thank you. Yep. Go ahead, Phil. Now that oh. Ed uh, cut right over you, and <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's okay because uh, we we uh, want to expand on the same subject. I I uh, I. Uh, Notice you said that uh, your your philosophy is based around the gospel. Is that uh, philosophy being watered down and, and, and almost non-existent, especially when you see the number of uh, preachers and and pastors that are that are into this this uh, right to choose situation? Yep. I mean, there's there's no shouldn't be any thought of choice of whether or not eliminating a helpless baby in the womb. Uh, that 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 choice shouldn't even be mentioned, let alone part of the uh, the everyday life. I mean, we have accepted that uh, that doctrine fade up, and and I think that it's responsible for the the idea that uh, something like color or critical race theories and stuff like that are more important than the life of a, an un, unborn baby in the womb. Yeah, and I think that some of, some of uh, you know, a lot of our church brethren and sisters have, uh, have become sort of immune to the thought of being pro-life um, because we've been using pro-life adjectives for a long time. I think we have to we have to modify our language about what's happening as well. I mean, I think at every opportunity we do have to mention the exact quote from Margaret Sanger. I think at every opportunity we have to mention the fact that black genocide is happening. And I think we have to mention the systemic racism. Let's use their nomenclature to describe what they are doing today. Let's mention systemic racism that Planned Parenthood in New York already admitted, July of 2020, you can do your research, and, and, uh, and let's tie it around their neck as a yoke that they uh, have to carry. So yeah, you pastors who are talking about, you know, well, I think, you know, we have to allow choice and this and that, 
the same pastors that are saying those sort of platitudes to appease the left progressive flank of their parishioners are the same pastors that also are emphatic about systemic racism. The number one organization that is proliferating systemic racism to this very day, by their own admission, by the way, is Planned Parenthood. Now, why can't we as brothers and sisters in the Lord, brothers and sisters in faith, actually continue to speak about it in that very profound way? Yeah, of course we're pro-life, but, you know, like I said, a lot of us in, in the faith community have become immune to, oh, you're a pro-life organization, and they, you know, they kind of fluff around that. Why don't we use the current cultural nomenclature, systemic racism, and systemic institutionalized injustices, tie that around Planned Parenthood and these abortionists, because they actually fit more than any other institution in America today, they actually fit that definition. And we just need to change how we talk about these things. Tell you a little something here. Uh, my wife works at uh, at a major school uh, in this country, and she she had to go and listen to this speech. Uh, and the speech was why why the right to life movements are so against abortion. And the answer by the main speaker was, is because the people that are pro life. This was her answer. The people that are pro-life don't want white babies murdered. (laughs) And therefore, and therefore, um, will prevent the black race from catching up. And my wife tried to point out in the speech that percentage-wise, more children of of the black race are being murdered in in, in abortion than than white by, by a large margin and this conversation came up with in a meeting with her boss and about uh you know uh, someone being uh, against uh or being uh, yeah against abortion um just because the uh they don't want the black race to catch up and my wife says if the black race population wants to grow they need to stop killing their babies yeah she got called out on the carpet at this school for for making that statement. That's inappropriate and that's really offensive is what what her her boss told her. That's really offensive and that that bothers me, the bosses, that bothers me as a woman of color that you would even say something like that. And my wife just tried to point out a simple truth. We need to stop killing babies. (laughs) Yeah, but the, the, the real insidious part of this though is by, you know, you're absolutely right, by percentage, um, blacks are being exterminated uh, at, at a much greater rate than any other uh, race. We're specifically targeted, strategically targeted in the womb for extermination per Margaret Sanger. So she's carrying out her, her vision. But here's the thing. Um, the reason why is because we've made Planned Parenthood and abortions so accessible. And, it, you know, in a lot of communities, I know a lot of black communities are using Planned Parenthood, uh, not the pills, but the abortion as as uh, uh, as birth control. And what happens is a lot of these young ladies, their bodies are being ravaged by no, a gross number of abortions. It's so hard to even fathom or think about 
because they've been using abortions as their sort of um, uh, how they, you know, as birth control. Um, and and by the time that they actually do get married or settle down or do actually want to have a child, a lot of them are, are finding that they're incapable of doing it or have a lot of, of uh, additional steps they have to take to sort of mitigate the damage they've done to their bodies over the years via the number of abortions. So it makes it much more difficult to conceive later in life when you are actually ready. And our community is disproportionately bearing the brunt of these kinds of gross atrocities today. Hey, Kevin, Kevin, yes. can you hold over until after the break? I'd like to keep talking to you, but we're coming up on a hard break. You bet. Pastor Richard Dietering on Wham. Pastor Rick will be joining you momentarily, but once again, in the meantime, I am Derek Stone with another moment on sports. The Wisconsin Badgers men's basketball team obliterated the North Carolina Tar Heels 85-62 in the first round of the NCAA tournament yesterday. Badgers guard Brad Davidson scored 29 points, 15 of which came beyond the arc and grabbed six rebounds. Davison's teammate, Demetric Trice, tallied 21 points, made 8 out of 15 field goal attempts, and 3 out of 8 three-point tries, and snagged 5 rebounds. Wisconsin was able to scorch North Carolina thanks to a 24-point advantage at the three-point line and nine-point edge in points off turnovers. The Badgers will face the top seed Baylor Bears in the second round tomorrow afternoon at 2.40. Now here's your Moment of Clarity host, Pastor Rick Dietering. And welcome back. We have Kevin McGarry joining us today. He is uh, the founder. Would that be a good say of saying of every Black Life Matters? And uh, we are talking about critical race theory. And let's let's just say it the way it is. Racism in this country is a poison, but we have to understand where it actually comes from, and um, and who is actually creating it. <laughs> uh, and and I like what you said, Kevin. Is it okay if I call you Kevin? Please. First do. Of all, call- all right. Please. Um, I I like that you. You turn everything, you look at the gospel and the answer of the cross. And that is such a blessing when I get to meet another brother, another brother in Christ. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. But we live in a society that has made Margaret Sanger the Messiah and Jesus the Messiah into the, the devil. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, th- things are completely flip, flip-flop. One to those who call evil good and good evil, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's where we are in our nation today. Here, here's the the billion dollar question: How do we fix it? How do we fix the 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 immorality, the deception, the the mindset of liberalism, which is the real poison in this nation of progressivism? How do we fix it? I think I know the answer. I think you do too, but let's share it. That's, that's a great question. So um, particularly for people of faith. So let me let me separate it out uh, because the majority of America are people of faith. Um, 
So let's just talk to the church right now. So how do we fix it when we have so many competing theologies and theories and new religions coming up uh, that's really taking our attention? First of all, we have to focus. And I know we have a lot of things coming at us on a day-to-day basis, but we as people of faith must focus. So what do we focus on? There's these theories and there's subcategories to these theories and there's all kinds of nuances within these theories that kind of get us, you know, chasing our tails and we're wrapped around the axle trying to figure out, well, what is CRT and what is not. If we just focus on what we're supposed to be focused on, then we can do much better. So here are the three things that we're focused on. As people of faith, there's three fundamental primary tenets of our faith. Number one, faith. That means faith in in God, faith in Jesus, faith in what the finished works of the cross. That means that we will not accept narrative about white Jesus and Jesus being a racist and all of this other stuff that we're get, getting thrown at us. We will accept that the foundations of faith that we committed our life to are just that. As, as we know, we cannot, without faith, we cannot please God, period. End of story, full stop. So faith is number one. Number two, uh, love. What? So after we cement our faith, then we must love our, our brothers and sisters. This is a command. As a matter of fact, the greatest command is love Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, spirit, and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and we cannot love God who we have not seen and love our brother who and hate our brothers who we've seen. So when we talk about critical race theory and these other things, they're fundamentally um, ascribing hate to other people just based on color. And that is completely antithetical to our command to love. So that's number two is love. Number three, forgiveness. We must forgive. The Lord's prayer is, after we go through it, and forgive us as we forgive, right? So those of us who remember the Lord's Prayer, so many of us probably don't. Yes. But you know, that, that's one of the scariest things when I point that out, that phrase out there is, you know, you talk about you being forgiven, but when you when you say that prayer that the Lord has taught us, forgive us as as we forgive others. Yep. Do you understand what you're actually saying when you say that? <laughs> And there's several parts in in the Bible that that really taught that really points to forgiveness must be on our part, and God will forgive us. In other words, if we don't forgive, if we hold on to the bitterness, anger, frustration, oppression, victimization, all of these things that these other theories are trying to teach us to hold on to, then we run the risk of God not even hearing our prayers and won't and not forgiving us. So this is fundamental. These three aspects, very simple, faith, love, forgiveness, basic things that we must do. And if we in the body of Christ would focus in on doing those basic fundamental tenets of our gospel, then all the other stuff will, will fade away. It will, we will be able to see clearly through what's happening here. But if we don't focus on those things and allow the world system, which is all the CRT and, and all these other antithetical theories coming to come at us and then influence us to where we get over our pulpits and we start talking about this stuff and infusing it into our gospel, then we're really a lost, we're, we're becoming a lost sheep. 
and we're certainly a lost church, and we're actually a cursed church. I remind I'm glad everybody. You Ahead. I'm glad you brought that up because we had. Uh, well, I was talking to a young lady who who professed her faith in Christ, and after the election, she was devastated. Uh, I mean, devastated about the election, and she said, "Now that the Democrats took the White House, what are we Christians going to do?" And I says, "The Democrats may have the White House, but you have the right house. <laughs> you have the cross, right? We win." That's right. That's right. Here's the real danger with all of this stuff, and I always point this out, and I try to point it out in every single uh, interview and conversation I have about this stuff. And this is a very important uh, admonition to our pastors. When we start to infuse the purity of the gospel with other gospels, CRT, social justice, liberation theology, and et cetera, what happens is we're literally not only imbibing curses unto ourselves, but we're literally, for those who would imbibe our words, those of our parishioners in the pews, we're actually casting curses on them. Now, some people would say, where do you get that from? Let's go to Galatians 1.8. And, and Paul was so emphatic, he had repeated himself in 1.9. This is essentially what he said. Even if an angel from heaven comes and gives you another gospel than what we have preached, they are accursed to hell. Oh, this excuse is a me. Serious admonition. Yeah. In my translation, I just read that the other night in my Bible study, and I was kind of amazed by that very verse. He didn't just say, I got the impression he was saying, let them be accursed, as in, and I, pardon me, we're on the air, as yep. in, God damn them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of a, a really far out notion to think that. You know, we're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to condemn. And yet Paul is saying, nope, let them continue on that path to hell. Yep. Because yep. they're, they're, they intend to do it. It's their, their free will. Exactly. So here's the well, issue I, it, that we're facing. When we, when we try to commingle and cobble these theories together, we got the purity of the gospel message already in our Holy Bible. And then we start to infuse a little CRT, start to infuse a little social justice and infuse a little, uh, you know, liberation theology and black liberation theology. Literally, we're cursing ourselves by virtue of what the gospel tells us, we're cursing right. ourselves. And to all of those who would fully imbibe the words that we speak, we're cursing them. I'm telling the body of Christ, we are at that crossroad right now. We have all of our major, uh, you know, Bible schools in our theo theological seminaries that are teaching this to our to our ministers to be. And mm -hmm. so we're going to start seeing more and more of this fusion of the gospel, and we're literally cursing ourselves. We are seeing the influx of, of the teaching of social justice. I'm glad you brought this up. Uh, the teaching of social justice and even our more conservative, I mean, theologically conservative um, seminaries. You're seeing it snake itself in. Yep. And here, here's here's what I I don't find social justice in the Bible. I don't. No. Uh, I, I where I find I, I I take that back. Where I find that is uh, Mary was was anointing the Lord's feet with oil, and, and the very first progressive comes up and says, "Hey, we need to sell that oil and give it to the poor." By the way, that was Judas, who was by that by the writer of that gospel was later said he's a thief. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, that's social justice. That you want to see social justice, and and our Lord can condemn Judas yeah. for making that statement. That's right. Um, so social justice is is not in the Bible, but those but those who try to bring it into the church, here's what I hear them saying. In my mind, when they talk about we need social justice, whether it be liberation theology, black liberation theology, as I see social justice coming into the church, what I hear them saying is we are more compassionate than God himself. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're trying to say. And yep. I'm sorry, God, God made himself a human came to this earth as a servant, as a humbled servant, put on that cross, beaten, scourged, <laughs> and died for our sins. I don't know how you can be more compassionate than that. But yeah. they seem to think they can be more compassionate than God. We have a caller on the phone. Let's bring him in. Put on your seatbelts, folks. It is Walter. Walter, how are you doing? That's right. The social justice king is back. <laughs> Mm. And, and, and you know, you know that sarcasm, sarcasm. You know, um, I know. I, I, I crowd against that fake gospel, man. The, the social gospels that will send you straight to hell by the right. cross and everything else. I said that's right. I said it, and I know without a, without apology. But I got a definition of racism. That's I'm so sick and tired of these race pimps talking about racism, and it's your guess was so so greatly described, um, he quoted from the book of First John, how can you say you love God and hate your brother? In fact, it, yeah. it, well, what, it goes on in First John 3.15, if you hate your God, you're a murderer, and a murderer yeah. will not have and inherit the kingdom of God. And, and uh, who that remind me of is Al Shriveled Up Sharpton, so-called <laughs> reverend. That's right, I said it. Every time he, every time he lies, he loses an extra, extra pound. Keep on lying, Al, so you can disappear. All right, now let's get to the real. Uh, and Jesse Jerkson and the rest of those black race pimps from the churches, especially the Church of God in Christ, the biggest, the biggest uh, supporters of the Democrat Party, they have been walking in unforgiveness toward whites for years. The very like, like Pastor Ewers would say, why do you hold unforgiveness toward the whites who set you free and those who fought in the Civil War, but you uh, love the ones that keep you in slavery, including the modern-day Democrats? But here's Walter's definition of uh, racism. <clears throat> you guys want to hear it? Sure. <laughs> Give it quick. I looked it up in the dictionary, Walter's dictionary recently. You know, I just started a new Webster's, Walter's instead of Webster's. I looked it up and I seen the face of every Democrat in there. The definition of it was Democrat. That's right. I said it. And, and there were pages and pages of that racism term. term. Different definitions, and on every other page was a face of a of a Democrat, including all uh, most of those people in the Congress, the Democrats, and even threw in a black some black enablers in there too on some of those pages, like Obama. That's right. Mm-hmm. And let me give you a, a good analogy of white supremacy, real quick. Anytime they let all people right. like Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimball. Stephen Colbert stay on those night shows and crack stale jokes. It's not funny, especially against Donald Trump and the Republicans. And they get away with it because of their white privilege with those little fake people they got sitting in the audience that laughs at that crap. That is my modern day definition of white supremacy. And, uh, you know, white supremacy and white privilege. They stay hey, on those Walter. programs year after year. They ain't got no humor. In fact, their sitcoms are so terrible. They got to use a laugh track 
to make up for their lack of talent. I'm out of here. Thanks a lot, Walter. Love love your calls always. Uh, you always yeah. end up making me laugh somehow. You have a blessed day. <laughs> hey, uh, Kevin, that's a tough act to follow, but any comment on what Walter had to say? Excellent call. Walter hit it right on the right. He hit the nail right on the head. Uh, he's he's dead on on this. And uh, no, God bless him. I don't have anything to add to his call. Um, I, I, I do want to say um, uh, there is a scripture that just came to mind. It's Luke 637. And essentially it says, do not judge and you won't be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. And forgive, and you will be forgiving. Now, if you look at the conjunctions on that, throughout that that verse, it, it it everything is conditional. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So, um, uh, I'd like to say that unless we really master how we forgive as part of this this. Uh, this way of, of seeing things as they are, um, we're not going to, um, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're fundamentally failing an essential tenet of the gospel that we supposedly commit our life to. You know, I'm right now, I just finished up, I'm an expository teacher in our church and uh, just finished up First Peter and First Peter is remarkable. And, and it's amazing how God made sure Second Peter followed right behind it. First Peter, First Peter is remarkable in the fact that, uh, <laughs> It points out that, hey, the world's going to attack us from the outside. And, and and through that, though, they're going to be watching us. And I want you folks to hear this. They're going to be watching us. As they attack us, they're going to be watching us. And how we handle that attack could actually bring people to the Lord. Yeah. But then the second book letter by, by Peter is, hey, the world is not just, the world is not the only ones attacking you. You're going to be attacked from the church from the inside. Well, you know, and and so you got one to say, hey, the one where they're attacking you from the outside, that might bring them to the Lord. But then we're faced with the church being attacked from the inside. And we see that happening with the social justice and the CRT and everything else you're just talking about, bringing a different gospel within the church as though it's something holy and it doesn't belong. And this is going to attack the church from the inside and break it down. And, And then the world is going to celebrate because the church is is. Uh, look what's happened. Uh, anytime something happens to a Christian in the world, uh, all media shoots right to that. Look yep. at the wrongdoing of this Christian within the church. Folks, bringing in this false gospel, as as our guest has pointed out, is not helpful to the church. The other thing I'd like to point out is that we, on the point of judgment, we're told not to judge the world because the world's already been judged. Right. We can spend all of our time pointing our fingers at the world and saying they're doing wrong. We know they're going to do wrong. They, we know they're going to they're going to be sinners. We know what their condemnation is. God has already judged them. The best thing we can do for them is love them enough to give them the gospel, teach them the word, and and try to bring them into the church. And if they don't come in, we still love them. Yes. <laughs> but uh, listen. They've already met their condemnation. All we can try to do is to protect, to try to protect ourselves from what's happening in the world today in a way that they can see our love for them and our Lord's love for them and God's love for them. Well, that's kind of redundant. But, um, and, and hopefully, 
bring them to an understanding there. I think that's the answer to the question I asked you earlier. What's the answer? The answer is the gospel. Yep. Go ahead, Ed. Well, I'm amazed at the way that you inferred that if God hadn't intervened miraculously, somehow Second Peter might have preceded First Peter. That was some good insight. <laughs> no, I, I'm just showing you how good I am at math, all right? Leave me You're alone. Here's one of the things that I really get to when I talk about where we are with these other theologies and theories and these other emerging religions that people are holding to. Fundamentally, what I ask my Christian fellows and my pastor friends is, is the gospel good enough? Does it really, is it really comprehensive and complete or is it not? And then, oh, of course, they say, oh, of course, Kev. Yeah, yeah, the Bible's good enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, why are we trying to add to it? Why are we trying to become more relevant with culture when we have our marching orders? Hey, is what is the cost good enough? Is it sufficient? Did Jesus do it all or did he not? This is what is it that sets men control. free? Yeah. It's the gospel that has set men free. Look at people like Wilberforce. Look at uh, people who've been inspired by the gospel to set men free. The gospel is good enough. Exactly. But, but here's the problem. When we start to infuse these other theologies around it and within it, what we're essentially telling ourselves in the world and those who would come into our church doors is that the gospel is not wholly sufficient. It's not. We're saying you know, that we need to make it more complete by adding a little bit of this, a little bit of that. We're basically supplanting our entire testimony. <laughs> it's yeah. just unbelievable. Because if you the know, gospel was not sufficient, then who did we commit our lives to and why? I mean, Paul, Paul lays out very clear what the gospel is. Very clear. The gospel is this, folks. If you, We keep using that word. So if you don't know what it is out there, I want you to hear it very carefully. Here is the gospel. It is the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That event, that series of events, his death, his burial, and his resurrection has changed the face of this universe in ways you can't even understand. But the way you can benefit from that gospel is through his grace, his mercy, and his love, and his forgiveness. Through that, you can experience the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Je Jesus Christ. Yeah. You add to that gospel social justice and and make it what make it about us. When we make the gospel about us, it's no longer about Jesus. Right. And you you are stealing from the Lord. Yep. You are insulting God. He gave yeah. you a gift that's perfect, and you're saying not enough. That's an right. insult to the giver of the gift. I wouldn't make it a habit of insulting God much, you know. Yep. Now, it never it never turns out good for the one doing the insulting. Well, right. Joe Joe asked the question. He wanted to ask it during my show with my guests, and he actually thought it came up here. What happens when you have a nation that that's split like ours? Half serve the Lord, half don't. Is God look? What's the balance point? This is Joe's question. It's not mine. What's the balance point? When does God decide to bless us? Well, here's the, here's my answer, and then we'll let uh, we'll let uh, Kevin answer. Here's my answer: the world's already been judged. All right, and we know we know that even in the end times, that there's going to just be a remnant of the church. 
I believe that this world, this country's, how can this country not be under God's judgment right now? We've killed millions and millions and millions of babies. We, we, we kept the institution of slavery longer than any other nation beyond the time of any other nation, civilized nation. I should clarify that. Any other civilized nation around. Um, we, we've got sins that this nation has never really repented of. The nation itself is under God's judgment. But the church, we're redeemed. It's <laughs> a good answer. Go ahead, Kevin. You can answer now. <laughs> I didn't want you to see all my answering quotes. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I think that uh, um, fundamentally the way that we uh, begin to engage culture, we really need to get out quickly. We need to get out quickly and in front of this and engage culture in such a way that, uh, like, for instance, Neil and I are doing remnant rising workshops. You can go to everyblm.com and get information about that where we come to your church and we'll help you to understand these things we've been talking about today. But, but fundamentally, the way that we help to turn things around is we need more education. We need more people on the front lines willing to combat, to fight, to push back against the current trend of culture. That's what we do. Well, that's the music. Kevin, just met you. Love you. Love you a lot. To my listening audience, I love you guys too. I will see you next week on A Moment of Clarity. been listening to a moment of clarity on wham talk 1600 with your host pastor richard dietering be sure to tune in again next week right here on wham radio 